This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. This is episode 30 of the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. On this episode, we have Chef Josh Fiddler. Josh is a chef in the Gettysburg, PA area. He was the chef and owner of Fiddler & Co. in Biglerville, and most recently consulted on the menu and kitchen at Gearhouse Brewing Co. in Chambersburg. Currently, he is working on a new project called Mela Kitchen in Gettysburg. Mela is located in the brand new Jack's Hard Cider facility and will feature brick oven pizza and Italian-inspired small plates and entrees. On this episode, Cooking in a Smaller Market, The Impact of COVID-19 on Life and Business, How to, and if you should, Market and Self-Promote During a Global Pandemic, and so much more. And thanks to this week's sponsor, Jug Bridge Brewery, located at 911 East Patrick Street in Frederick, Maryland. Both Jug Bridge and Pizza Llama are still available for carryout orders. Thanks so much, and have a great week. Welcome, everyone. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. This is Chris, and today I have Josh Fiddler uh, with us. He's a chef in the Gettysburg, Pennsylvania area. Hey, Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Chris? It's going great. Thanks for coming on, doing another one of our COVID Zoom sessions, as I'm calling them. Uh, I'm glad to be able to get you on here. You know, we've talked for a number of years on social media. We've never actually even met up in person. Um, So I'm glad that you could, could jump on and do a podcast with us. Well, there's no better time than right now, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm hoping I can get a few of these done in the next couple of weeks. So why don't you go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about yourself, whatever you want to talk about, you know, what's your background, uh, where are you working, where have you cooked, and kind of how you got there. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've been in the industry for probably about 20 years, um, off and on. At a very young age, I started working at delis and and I was just always drawn into that kind of work and um, worked for a couple really good chefs when I got out of um, college, uh, just kind of kicking around. I didn't really start my career until I started cooking at the Gary Owen Irish Pub here in Gettysburg, which is just a phenomenal little pub if anybody's uh, into that kind of thing. So I just sort of like that was about 10 years ago. And I just, uh, that's when I decided to get more serious about it and just started reading and taking in all I could and testing and failing and testing and failing until, you know, got more comfortable with it. Worked there for a while and then um, opened my own restaurant about four and a half years ago uh, in Biglerville, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Gettysburg, about four or five miles. Really cool little spot with a wood-fired uh, pizza oven and a small kitchen, small dining room. And it was really, really good experience. Uh, and uh, we we went for about four years and then we were trying to get a liquor license and do all that kind of stuff to, uh, you know, you know, the margins on just the BYOB restaurant are really thin. So we weren't able to obtain that. So we shut that down. I think it was about 
two and a half years ago now. And then I've moved on. Uh, I was doing some consulting work for Gearhouse Brewing Company in Chambersburg. And I just, just, you know, I asked them, hey, well, I'm shutting down my place. Do you want me to come on staff and get everybody, you know, on the same page with this new menu change? And I worked there for about a year. That was a great experience. Such a good crew of people and the owners there. Just amazing amazing people in the way that they handle their business and the culture that they had there. So I fit in really good there. That was a really successful time. Um, that kitchen crew up there, it was the first time I felt, you know, we really, really jived and everybody was working as a team and there was no drama. And so that was a really, really good time. So now I'm just uh, working on a new project up here in Gettysburg um, with the Jack's Hard Cider Company is opening a new production facility. They've expanded up to about 40,000 square foot facility in an, in an old movie theater here outside of uh, Gettysburg at the outlet shops. We're going to put in about a 6,000 square foot tasting room and restaurant there. And that's going to be called, uh, it's called Mela. It's going to be a rustic, simple Italian kitchen, Italian style kitchen uh, with a pizza oven as the main focus. I just love making pizza. So I had to have that. And we're going to do some family style stuff, some very social dining kind of experience there. So that's where we're at the moment. What are the diners in Gettysburg? Like, do you have a good idea. I'm, I'm sure you do, but like, what are people looking for? And do you feel that that's different than other cities? It's, it's actually a very diverse crowd of people. We've got Gettysburg college here that brings in a, a lot of people, whether it's professors or faculty and staff. Uh, so, and then the parents of those kids. Um, and that's a big, big portion of, of the local business here. Um, locally, um, I've been cooking in this town for, I mean, 15, 20 years. Like I got my first job at a deli when I was 15 years old. So I've worked in various establishments. So I've seen it, um, I've seen it grow and I've seen it change. I've seen some people be too early. Um, I worked for a really good Greek chef, uh, Dimitri, and he opened up a Mediterranean restaurant, which was phenomenal phenomenal place. I mean, he's doing baby octopus grilled, whole grilled snapper, the whole nine yards. And he was just a phenomenal chef. And he was the first one who really inspired me to take it to the next level from like sandwiches and soup to, to, to whatever. And, you know, he was about, I like to say we're about 10 years behind the trends. I think when the food network started hitting and, and all that media Focusing on food, it really helped us as chefs to be able to push that forward. And, you know, at the Gary Owen, you know, we would have our, our regular kind of Irish staple menu. But then we were doing really crazy specials. And I, I saw that there was a, a need and a want for the people that were driving to Frederick to eat and wanted that more city, city-like feel. Now, it's been challenging in a way. But that's been also great because as a chef, like we can, we can push people. And I think that's what we enjoy to do. I don't know how many times I make stuff that people are like, oh, I would never eat octopus or I would never eat that. But 
if it's properly prepared and they trust the chef, then all of a sudden they're like, that's their favorite dish now on the menu. So yeah, it's been, it's been challenging. Um, I love, I love this area. So it's like, I will never give up on it. I'll just keep, (laughs) keep pushing and keep pushing. And there's so many great organizations with, you know, the historical prevalence of the area. So we've done really cool dinners, like in the, um, the, the show barn at Eisenhower farm. We did a dinner a couple years ago for like 70 people. The greatest thing about this area too, is, is the farms. Like we have literally everything that we need, we could get right here. You know, one of the cool things I think about being in Frederick is for all the city feel, we have so many local farms. You can get great product, meat, dairy, all of that, uh, and kind of have that rural slash city feel. I know. And it was weird when I had, when I had Fiddler and company, my restaurant in Biglerville, we got a lot of people coming up from DC. The agritourism business up here in Gettysburg was, was growing. We were doing a farm dinner series at Beach Spring Farm uh, through the summer. Like we would do five or six dinners, farm to table. And, and that, that kind of monikers kind of always bugged me because I think that all food comes from a farm somewhere. Did you do them out at, at their farm? Yeah. Yeah. She, Jane is her name. Um, she's a lovely, lovely lady. And she would uh, just bring wicker baskets of fresh produce right to my restaurant two or three times a week. And, and I'll tell you, man, that was the the highlight of my cooking career is just having her come in with the most beautiful produce. And it just changes the way you think about cooking and it changes the way that you cook. And yeah, so she has a beautiful events barn out there. So we would put on these huge dinners and uh, th- those were the best couple of years that I have, that I had. Well, I did, I did a dinner out at her place too. I got connected uh, with... Was oh, so it Explore know, Gettysburg so you know or something. Jane. Yeah, I did. Uh, I can't remember if it's called Explore Gettysburg or something like that, but I was doing a... Was it Saver Gettysburg? Saver's Gettysburg. Get, Gettysburg. Yeah, like, Sorry, yeah. Lori. Mm-hmm. I, got, I got connected with Lori. So we did a farmer's market tour and then a farm to table dinner. So the first thing I did was we did a walking uh, through downtown on a Saturday morning and went to the farmer's market and I had a crew of about 15 people with me and we picked out all the stuff that they wanted to get. And then we walked back to the arts council and I did a hands-on cooking demo meal there. And then a couple weeks later, we did a dinner out at the farm where they had done the whole tour. I guess there was like a little bus uh, that drove around the Gettysburg area and they went to the mushroom farm and they went to an orchard or something. And then I was out at Beach Springs farm uh, waiting for them to come. And then they came with all the stuff that they had procured throughout the day. And then I had to put together like a six course dinner for them. And we just had, you know, big, long eight foot tables out on the farm there and did a dinner outside. And that was really awesome. So you've been to the farm. So, yeah. you know, you know how beautiful it is. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it was funny. We would get all these people coming to Fiddler and Company from Frederick, D.C., Baltimore, you know, because it's a great place to come and spend a weekend. And I think that that's that influx of that agritourism is also driving what we put on our menus here because they're coming here, but they're also looking for the food that they're used to eating uh, in D.C. And people would ask me all the time, like, why is your restaurant out here in the middle of nowhere? And I said, well, I like to make things as difficult as possible for myself. Um, That's sort of what drives me. Plus the rent's really cheap. So, you know, the overhead was very low. So you can, you could get into it without 
you know, risking bankrupting yourself for the rest of your life. So I don't see the closing of that restaurant so much as a failure as just like that was an awesome snapshot in time in the time of the, you know, culinary movement of this area. And I think it, it influenced a lot of stuff and it, it brought a lot of farms to the forefront and it brought us together as a community. And um, yeah, it was sad to close it, but I don't see it by uh, as a failure though. Like I said, going back to us being about 10 years behind on the trends, you know, it's like this Greek restaurant I worked at was, was one of the best restaurants, What whether no matter what city it was in. And it's just sort of like people just weren't quite ready. Had it been five, six years later, yeah, I think it would have been fine. So sometimes I think when you when you are a risk taker, that's just a, a risk that you take on is that, you know, are people going to get this? Eh, they, they might, or they might not. So, um, but yeah, I think as far as our food scene is concerned here, it's, it's, it's growing and I can see it getting better and better. And, um, we have a lot of great restaurants here. Um, we've got really good Greek pizzerias. Um, Tommy's pizza is one of the best, best places to eat up here. And the Gary Owen, of course, there's a bunch of new, uh, new places popping up, uh, pizzerias, uh, distilleries. And, and with our laws changing up here, you're, we've seen just a, a huge influx of breweries and distilleries because uh, of the way that the laws are structured. And I think people come out for that. I mean, I think going forward with your new project, you have that to your benefit. It seems like people are more than willing to travel for a brewery, winery, distillery, cider house. Uh, and I see that as a major opportunity. But yeah, for sure. We're, uh, we see the success of places like Trogues and, and all the cool little breweries and people will just make a whole day of just driving from place to place, have brunch here, have dinner here. Gearhouse is a good example of that and watching them build such a fierce, fiercely loyal clientele was, was really inspiring. How has the whole COVID-19 pandemic affected things for you both personally and with the process of getting this new place open like what's happening right now we we were moving ahead pretty pretty full steam on this project and then when the covid thing hit here in the states it pushed us off off course a little bit um i was really glad that we weren't open because <laughs> that would have been worse if we had hired 50 people and had to just like deal with that fallout right away so we've had to kind of transition our energies. I mean, they're still working on the build out and we're still working on getting all the equipment in and all that stuff, but it's really put it up in the air as far as like, we can't really set an open date and we can't really do this. And we've still got some payroll that we got to try to cover for the the team that the opening team that's working on it. So we've been trying to pivot into like to go cider. We're getting into like delivery cider, um, just anything we can we can do as I think any business right now is trying to pivot and it's been really interesting to watch uh, full service restaurants transition into takeout restaurants and 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 how McDonald's and the fast food chains are doing fine and probably I would imagine you know increasing profits because there there's not that many places to to eat. Yeah, I don't see any fast food places going out of business during or after this. No, because they were they're they're set up for that business, you know, that that drive-through business from from the get up. So 
you know, but if you've got a, say a hundred seat restaurant and you've got the overhead of a hundred seat restaurant and transitioning to takeout is sort of like fool's gold or a futile effort to say like, maybe we can keep one or two people on staff with, with this because, you know, you've got the building, you've got the electric, you've got just massive amounts of overhead. So it's been really interesting. You know, I think there's a, there's like a 500 seat restaurant downtown in Gettysburg that's fairly new and they've just got like a little pizza takeout set up on the sidewalk. And I just see the owner out there and she's just, (laughs) she's just trying to sell pizzas and some to go beer and, yeah, man, it's just been, it's been hard to watch and, and it's been very, very stressful. And, and emotionally, I've just been a little wrecked <laughs> about it because I, I, lo- I love restaurants more than anything. My life is just restaurants. Like I, all my vacations are based around restaurants and the social aspect of it. And I, I think in communities, like I know you have chefs without restaurants, but you also need restaurants in your community where do you go for birthdays you know i love restaurants i mean yes i run chess about restaurants but i love restaurants i love going out just like you vacations planned around where we're going like what cities and i need to make sure we have reservations at all the restaurants i want to go to i mean i absolutely love them and i hope we can do everything we can to save restaurants and the numbers that i'm hearing being thrown out about the number and percentage of restaurants that are just going to close for good is so depressing right now Oh, I know it's, I've heard, you know, upwards of 60% and, and having owned a restaurant and knowing what's in the bank account at all times is barely enough to get most places, even, even big places. Um, It's not just small restaurants, it's large restaurants groups, you know, it's, it's the profit margins aren't different. It's just the amount of money coming in and the amount of overhead. So it's all kind of scales. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been tough and and I've been chatting with other chef and servers and bartender friends and just trying to see how everybody's navigating this new landscape has been some of it's been very inspiring and we can see how strong we are as a community and and, and a people and seeing how people are changing their social media patterns and being more helpful and kind and empathetic and and and, and how can we help each other through this and you know I'm trying to set up some Zoom meetings for cooking classes and just things like that so we can still connect. I mean, I'm a I'm a social person. I I need I need to be in there with my kitchen crew all day joking around and you know having that social interaction. So for me it's it's, it's very hard to just sit in my house and I think if I didn't have social media to stay connected in some way I'd be going nuts right now. And you and I had talked like off podcast early, like how do you continue to be relevant on social media? How do you not come off as tone deaf, you know, to have an Instagram where you're just saying throwback Thursday, here's this beautiful steak that, you know, we used to serve at the restaurant. Like what does your social media page look like these days? You know, how do you keep relevant, keep on top of things and be in in people's mind uh, when it's kind of, tone deaf to be self-promotional you know you might not even be open for another three months like what should you be posting for quote-unquote content for the next couple weeks and months you know yeah it's something that we've struggled with and and we've had meetings that try to figure it out and you know you just don't want to have those cringeworthy posts up where you're just self-serving and every restaurant's closed in the country and, and and you're trying to promote a new project it's like I think you had said earlier that, you know, your approach has always kind of been to 
be more informative and and take a teaching sort of method to your to your social media presence and and I totally agree with you and I, I think that's that's the best and you know in the past like if you have restaurants like okay we'll make a dish we'll we'll take a picture of it and we'll put it up and you'll be like wow that looks good I should go there and eat or you'll be like why didn't you post that special seven days ago then I would have known about it and I could have made plans you know so it's like I just made this up today. So I'm posting it today. Every five minutes on my Instagram, someone's going live and quite often with someone else. It's just crazy. The amount of people who are doing the cooking shows, pivoting towards like Instagram, cooking demos, doing TikTok videos, like everyone right now is in full on, I'm cooking at home mode. Come watch and see what I'm doing and ask me a bunch of questions. Yeah. And I've been doing the same thing and it it's it's been really, really cool. I mean, we have a a brand new newborn baby here just born, uh, last week. So been just trying to keep my wife nourished and, uh, just keep ourselves sane. Really. You have more than enough going on. (laughs) Yeah. It's been, it's been great though. And, uh, her, her name's Helena and she's a beautiful, beautiful little girl. So yeah, I was like making biscuits yesterday. And so people started DMing me Oh, let me get that recipe or whatever. And, you know, I think I'm in the phase of my career where like, I just want to teach people, you know, you go through all these stages, I think as a cook and chef, like I've had my like arrogant, nasty yelling stage. And I, I, I've worked through that and I've had my, I have my own restaurant sort of stage. And now I'm, I'm in the, like, what can I do to help my community and the farmers and the people and and teaching people. So, you know, I'm trying to set up some zoom meetings to do some biscuit demos and stuff with people. And, you know, it's like this COVID thing has really affected the whole industry. And, and me personally, I don't, we don't have a restaurant that's open, so it doesn't affect me like so much in that sense, but just a sense of like, when are we going to be able to get back out there? And when are we going to be able to nourish people in the community again? You know, and I think that's that being unknown can like, can offer a certain amount of grief and a certain amount of stress on, onto you. Yeah. I mean, that's what I always loved about what I'm doing with my perfect little bites business is going into people's homes and cooking in front of them and making it as interactive as they want. And they're always asking questions and people are so surprised when I say, Oh yeah. And just email me, I'll give you recipes because I think there's this idea of like secret recipes, like every chef and restaurant have their recipes and they don't want to share them. It's like, no, I like built my whole business around sharing and educating and yeah, here's my crab cake. And if you want the recipe for it, email me and I'll send you the recipe and, you know, make it and let me know what you think. And if you have questions, like I'm here like 24 seven, just reach out to me via social media or email or phone even, and I'll talk you through like anything. And even unrelated, I've always said like, if you're going to hop on a plane and go to Denver and you want recommendations on restaurants to eat at, like I will tell you. And that's how I've always built my business. So, you know, it was an easy transition for me to keep doing what I'm doing, sharing recipes, some new stuff, some old stuff. And then with the Chefs Without Restaurants community, just being there as a resource to share as much that I know. You know, right now, a lot of the members of the community are asking questions like, how do I file for unemployment? Can I, if I'm self-employed? Like, what should I be doing about this? And just building a community around that uh, idea of kind of crowdsourcing information and like, let's get as much info out there for everyone and share it as quickly and as widely as we can. That's really interesting. Um, I've always been the, like really inclined to 
share recipes and, you know, I think I don't have any secret recipes. I don't, you know, I can tell you what's in something and you could make it and it's going to be a little different than when I make it. I just really never understood that. Like, Oh, I can't tell you that or whatever. At Gearhouse, I'd just be out in the dining room talking to people to serve them a dish. How do you make this? And I walk them through the whole thing. And I think that, you know, there's very, very little that's new in, in the culinary world. And it's all, we're, it's, it's basically like as we learn different cuisines and, you know, there's probably a point early in my career where I thought, oh, wow, I discovered this. And I mean, you can quickly Google search any idea that you have and it's pretty much already been done. So it's like, it's like food and music are kind of like the same thing. It's like, just, I just get it out there, share it with the world. And, you know, I think that's, that's just a really important thing to do. There's only a few things that I feel can't be messed with. And, (laughs) but yeah, everything else is sort of open to interpretation. And I think that's the, the, the great thing about cooking is once you learn those basic skills and you've got a little bit of like arsenal of tricks and things, then like you can really start kind of riffing on things and you kind of realize like, Oh, well that traditional recipe isn't as important as I thought it was. As, as long as I'm sticking somewhat to that, you know, I do like fundamentals and tradition and, and some things. Yeah. I mean, I like to have a reference point and sometimes from the outsider, they don't realize it. Like I make a smoked Gouda hot pepper relish spread and people love it. And it's like, it's really literally just pimento cheese. And I just found a pimento cheese recipe that I liked. And it's like taking out the cheddar and adding smoked Gouda and then taking out the pimentos and adding like hoagie spread, you know, but yeah. there's still this reference point of you, you've had pimento cheese, you know what it's like. So you get it but people don't even always connect the dots of going from A to B. It was really easier than, than they might think. And I always just like to start with something very classic or traditional, kind of nail the, the preparation on that and then slowly change one ingredient or technique at a time. And you still can kind of recognize the original inspiration for that dish. That's how I like to cook. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. So I want to jump into some of these uh, rapid fire questions we do, if you're ready for that. We've always kind of said like one, one word answer, but they never end up being one word answer. So, you know, kind of short and to the point. So making them kind of relevant for the times we're in right now, what are some pantry items you think are essential? Like a couple of weeks ago, I think we had an idea that we were going to be locked indoors for a couple of weeks. Was there anything that you went and made sure you stocked up on and had or wish that you had? Like, what are some things that if you were going to be home for two or three weeks that you want to have on hand at home? The first thing I did is I went out to farm said butcher and I got a bunch of meat to put in the freezer, just pork and ground beef, sausage, things that I could know that I could just incorporate in any dish, dried pasta, a lot of beans. I bought a lot of beans, but I've been really into cooking beans lately and trying to figure out that whole thing. So you're buying uh, dried or canned or both? It's funny because I tried to buy dried, but apparently now everybody's just like a prepper or whatever. And, and everybody apparently knows how to cook dried beans now because it was really hard to find. So I had to get canned on, on most of them. So like I made red beans and rice the other night with canned beans and, and actually it was fine. And I don't think there's anything wrong with canned beans. Um, so beans, um, eggs, of course, um, we've got some local places, you know, so this has been interesting too, because I've really seen the local 
farms like shining in this moment because giant or wherever we go get groceries at it's always out of eggs always out of milk but like you could just drive like a mile down the road and get eggs and meat and 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 because everyone's like oh the stores are out of meat what are we gonna do and i'm like we'll go check this place out and maybe we have we should have been doing this all along so i'm hoping that it, it's gonna like push people even farther into realizing that we can get this stuff locally and it's being raised responsibly and sustainably. So, And from an interaction standpoint, it's also less risky right now. You know, I think the last time I went to Wegmans a couple of weeks ago, I had to wait in a line that was 60 minutes long just to check out. So when they're talking about, you know, six feet distance and all that, like you're in the store, there's another 200 people there kind of doomsday prepping. And then you have to stand right next to them in line for an hour. I feel like if you just go to this farm, there's probably a good chance there's not even anyone else there besides the farm owner, you know, depending oh, on your yeah. timing. No, it's, it's, it's been great. And then like, we're, we're so lucky, you know, being in a rural area that we have access to that. And, you know, being in New York city, I have some friends living up there right now and I chat with them uh, at night and, you know, there's just way more people up there and way harder to get resources and, and they don't have that farm down the street that they can go to. So, you know, that, I think that's a win for the, the, the rural communities and, I'm hoping that there's a positive outcome here. And I I think there will be a lot of positive outcomes to such a dire situation. Yeah, it's interesting to see also seeds being sold out. I know a lot of people have had trouble getting seeds and I have a pretty good seed collection. So I didn't have to get anything this year, but I know friends who've been trying to get some seeds to start growing their own stuff and aren't having a lot of luck getting things right now. Yeah, I know. It's been been crazy because I was watching Doomsday Preppers the the other day because I think it's a really funny show. And and then um, I, I was looking online and I went on a seed website and they were out of seeds and, you know, all these things that people are, are you know, predicting this apocalyptic situation. So I wanted to add that, like, in my pantry, like, I have to have good vinegar. That's like one of my staples. And what else did I buy? I got butter. I made sure I had a lot of butter and olive oil and things like that. And... And that's what I was like going to the store and I was like, oh, I'm going to get like the giant jar of olive oil, you know, things that were important to me that like everyone's grabbing toilet paper and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but if I don't have any oil, like I can't cook anything. I bought two gigantic things of olive oil at the store. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, I I think chefs like going in are going to pick way different stuff. You know, I actually like, I got a lot of frozen vegetables and things because I, I need to feed my wife and, and, you know, and then in turn my new baby girl. So it's like, I'm not going to buy, you know, I'm not going to buy a bunch of fresh vegetables that are going to spoil within three weeks if I can't use them all. So I just stock up on my peas and green beans. And I think that's okay. You know, this is, this is cooking at home. This is way different than a restaurant. And, and I've struggled with that too. And I, I don't always like cooking at home because the, the either the fire is not hot enough or I can't yield the same result and I don't have this piece of equipment. So, and then having a new child, I've had to really adjust the way that I cook and cause I have to do it quicker and faster and healthier and, and this and that. So it's like, I'm like microwaving a baked potato because I can do that while I'm like making a quick, pasta dish it's it's like we we microwaved two sweet potatoes last night so i'm with you 
it worked pretty good though, right? It does work really well. Absolutely. You know, it's really hard. Like my in-laws live with us and then I have twins who are almost eight. So there's six people and we're now eating three meals a day at home for six people. That's a lot more food than we were used to. I mean, oh yeah, it's, you're spending all day either prepping food or doing dishes right now because my kids used to eat at school. My in-laws ate a lot on their own or would go out. And now it's like, we're just all eating at home. And it's a big thing right now, the amount of food that we're going through. And we've instituted, especially with the kids, a no waste policy. Not that I ever like wasting, but my son would eat half a grilled cheese sandwich and then just, you know, like toss it or something. It's like, no, no, no. Like you're eating that or it's going in the fridge and you're eating it tomorrow. Cause I'm not going to the store for at least two weeks. Man, it's, it's, yeah, that's wild. And like, we only have the two of us here right now. So it's like much less, but it's the same exact thing. I just, I'm just cooking all day and, and then, then doing the dishes, but it's actually been part of that's been really amazing just to like, like I made biscuits from scratch at home last night. I never do that. You know, I made fried chicken last week. Oh, uh, we, really good. we made banana bread. Uh, I've got a dough rising right now for like a regular bowl uh, that I'm going to do. And then I've got some pizza dough going. And those are all the things that I've wanted to do. And I'm making pickles this afternoon because we have some cauliflower that's on the way out. I mean, it's still good. The kids don't particularly love it, but I find anything we pickle. So I'm doing like a curry pickled cauliflower and I'm going to do that. And then that'll give us a couple days on it. And I guarantee you everyone would rather just eat the cold, you know, pickled cauliflower than like steamed or roasted cauliflower in this house. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I'm with, I think I'm with your family on that. So yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been like, that's like a silver lining of the whole thing. And I've been trying to focus in on the positives of the situation. Yeah. You have to where you can, and maybe it's a reorganization of your priorities. You know, you just kind of eliminate the the fluff you know we kind of talked about that with restaurants but the same at your home you know it's crazy i bought some clippers on amazon and we gave each other haircuts this week and i'm like cool like maybe we'll never go to the barber again like i'm kind of happy with the job my wife did my son got a mohawk that he's always wanted because he's like i'm home for a month like it'll grow out and we just took the clippers and i've never cut anyone's hair but i gave him a mohawk it's like oh cool we saved like 45 bucks that we normally would have spent at the barber and now we can do it for free at home. You know, it's going to get a lot weirder, I think, as time progresses too. Oh, for sure. But the cooking has been really interesting. You know, I see a lot of memes and jokes on the internet about everyone with their sourdoughs. You know, all of a sudden everyone's a baker. And, you know, thank God I just happen to have two bags of bread flour before this started. And uh, Christine Van Bloom in Frederick, who runs uh, the kitchen studio, unfortunately had to close down and she offered up a 12 pound bag of AP flour that she had. So I felt like I hit the the lottery when I went to her house the other night and did a porch pickup of 12 pounds of flour. I'm like, it's back on. I can do some baking stuff, uh, but my yeast is starting to run out. So I need to get a starter, a sourdough starter going. Yeah. And I think another advantageous thing that chefs have is like, I have a little bit of flour, but I also have a friend who has a bakery that's still baking. So I can, I can just call her up and go get some flour or, you know, our food supplier is in Mechanicsburg and they have, they have a, a really nice like a uh, grocery outlet there. So they're not going to be short on flour. So it's just like, it's like just having the knowledge to, to know where to get the resources um, other than the, the grocery store shelf. Yeah. And I've seen a few restaurants turning into like makeshift grocery stores. Like that makes sense, right? Like if you're going to be closing and not doing curbside or takeout and you're sitting on all this product, you know, why not 
share with your community, maybe make a couple bucks back. Like it doesn't make sense to have a 50 pound bag of flour sitting in a bin when people, you know, are fighting over it in the grocery store. No. And actually I did get flour at the grocery store yesterday or no, the day before, but it was, uh, the unbleached, uh, King Arthur flour. So it was actually the good, the, the good flour. So I bought a $7 bag of Bob's red mill. It was literally the last bag they had at Wegmans like two weeks ago. It was the only thing in the whole store <laughs> was one bag of like the $7 Bob's red mill, two pound bag of flour. And I bought it cause I didn't know when I was going to have anything else. So we've got some, you know, good flour at home too. So the answer to that question was like 400 words long. Yeah, that's how we roll. You know, I've kind of incorporated like the the speed round into we're muddying the waters here. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite chef, either, you know, quote unquote celebrity or someone you've really looked up to? Like who who do you love in the industry? So the Greek chef, Dimitri, that I work for, he he was probably my favorite chef that I actually worked for. And I, I, I honestly haven't worked for that many chefs. Um my career sort of, you know, I just sort of took it over. I don't know how to explain it, but I didn't come up like traditionally through hotel kitchens or un- worked under this chef or that chef. So he was probably the, one of the only chefs I really worked for. So he, you know, he is always in my mind going to be one of my favorites. Uh, cause just cause he, it was such a big turning point. I think locally my favorite chef at the moment is uh, the chef at the Falafel Shack in Chambersburg, Amr. He's he's just an amazing person. His family's amazing. His restaurant's amazing. The culture that they have at that restaurant is what everybody should be striving for. And he's probably somebody that you should uh, get in touch with for this podcast too, because he's he's an extraordinary. Their story is extraordinary. Where they came from, how they got here, every everything. And I've done a few events with him. We did a big pizza fundraiser. He has like a mobile pizza oven that he does at the farmer's market on Saturday morning. So we did a big pizza drive for uh, the food bank uh, or SCAP. And and um, that's the South Central uh, Pennsylvania. And they, they like run the food banks and all that. And so we did a fundraiser, pizza fundraiser. And I think we made like 400 doughs and like sold out in, a, in an hour. And it was like insane. And it was like gear house and falafel shack working together on it. And that's like that community in Chambersburg is extraordinary in the way that they are all working together and, and they're doing it the right way. And I can't praise that community enough right now. And just for restaurants like falafel shack to, to, to be able to, to be packed every, every night that they're open is extraordinary and he's doing some really, really cool food there. So he's he's probably my one of my favorites right now. As far as like celebrity chefs, um, David Chang has always been a, an influence. I just started eat, going up to eat at Noodle Bar. And, you know, I was really into the whole like Asian ingredients thing a few years back. And, and I've eaten at Co. And I've uh, eaten at Sambar. I was trying to eat everywhere, but you can't keep up with the amount of restaurants they're opening. I don't know why I was so drawn to to him, but and I still listen to his podcast, and and it's been really interesting to watch watch his career grow. But I think if anybody eats my food, you would know that it's influenced by that for sure. Um, I've seen uh, Massimo like I've seen him speak at an engagement, and that was really cool. Uh, Ferran. 
Audria, like things like that. So, you know, it's like, I'm just sort of influenced by so many things and my house is just full of cookbooks. And if you're like a celebrity chef, I've probably read, (laughs) read your cookbook. So, so one of my questions is always, do you have a favorite cookbook or a couple that you love and recommend? Like, is there anything you're reading right now or anything you go back to all the time? There's a Edward Lee cookbook called smoke and pickles. And my dad gave it to me for Christmas, like four years ago. And I'm always going back to that. And I haven't gotten to eat at any of his restaurants, but it's like on my list. So that's one of the cookbooks. I think the Ottolenghi cookbook recently, I've, my dad got me that a while back too. And I didn't really pay much attention to it. But in the last year, I've been really drawn to this more simple, rustic style of cooking. And and I think that cookbook's perfect for that. And the recipes, just for like a simple herb salad or, you know, just really simple, uh, hearty food. And, And so that's been one. The Momofuku cookbook, for sure, I still go back to. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any suggestions? Man, I have hundreds, if not thousands of cookbooks. Uh, You know, I I just go through phases and uh, we'll just sit and read more for inspiration. I really love reading uh, Christian Pugliese's uh, Relay cookbook, but it's more for his thoughts on things. You know, it's almost like half of it's a journal and there's a whole thing on like water and how important is water in your restaurant thinking about are you using filtered water or not? And when you, mm-hmm. you know, make a stock with water and you're taking it out of the tap and you have chlorine and all this stuff in it and you cook it down and reduce it, you're reducing down all that crap. And like, maybe you should be putting a water filter on your sinks if you're going to be, you know, using water as everyone does in components. So I love reading books like that where it just gives you something to think about where it's not a stone cold recipe. When I realized like that, I like had a passion and creativity for cooking and I realized that I didn't have skills. Like one of the first books I got was the French laundry cookbook because there was a lot of like technique in there, but then there was a lot of just like thoughts, uh, you know, of how a kitchen's supposed to run and, and, and not coming up in, in a traditional kitchen sense, being able to have that knowledge from Thomas Keller, like was indispensable. I didn't know what family meal was. We don't have that in rural Pennsylvania restaurant, you know? So we've over the years tried to implement those uh, fundamental theories and and then just like learning the that basic technique stuff really, that was a book that really helped launch me. And that was like interesting about my career is like we have so much access to information now that if you know how to use it correctly, like you can really, really it can really help you to progress in your career faster than, you know, back in the day when you'd have to travel to France or Japan to, to get any of this information. And I think that waters down the market a little bit and makes, gives some people a false sense of security. So it's like whenever I really want to get into a dish, like, so ramen, like I love ramen, like who doesn't love ramen? And I played around with ramen for four and a half years before I ever put it on a menu. Cause I was like, okay, we've got this ramen that comes in the, packs and it's really salty but it's kind of delicious and then I went to noodle bar to eat and then I went to other ramen places in New York and put in the research and figured it out you know but like I didn't have to go to Japan and I didn't you know I can make really good ramen noodles from scratch just by you know what I've learned through the cookbooks that I've read and I 
we've talked about that a lot, like the whole culinary school thing. And, you know, people, we've had the question, like, is it worth it or not? You know, I went to culinary school in 1994. Like we didn't even have the internet when I was a freshman, you know, Uh, and we had a culinary library where they had very few cookbooks. There weren't that many at the time. And they only had one copy. So when you had to do a report on French cooking, you had to race to the library to get like that one book. And if it was gone, it was gone. And you didn't have the resources where, you know, it's not the same, obviously, but you can spend tons of time reading cookbooks, watching YouTube videos, reaching out to people via the internet, asking them questions. And you can get there a lot on your own without having to work in a restaurant or go to culinary school and at least have a better foundation before you start and not just go into a restaurant with zero experience, I think. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting. I, I went to school for photography and graphic design because at the time that's what I was really into. And and I, I think that that degree has been indispensable and in, in helping me to see the world in a different way and to see things in aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing way. And, and it's helped me with plating and it's helped me to design my, re- my menus and I didn't have to pay for all that stuff. And so it's been helpful, but I, I wish I could have gone to culinary school. Like I know that it's like, it's too expensive and you don't get a job that warrants you know, spending 60 grand or whatever, you know, I know all those things, but if you do have the opportunity, I think, you know, it would be great. Cause like it took me years to like learn how to make sauces because I didn't have that fundamental training in it. I'm always recommending looking for workshops and things like that to kind of go deep into the things you're interested in. No. And I, I totally agree. And I've had a few, a handful of like parents that would eat at my restaurant and be like, my kid wants to go to culinary school. Should, you know, is that worth it? And, and I mean, my answer is always like, well, do you have a lot of money or not? Like, I mean, I don't think any education, I'm a big believer in education. So I don't think any education is bad, but I say, you know, unless you have an, a large amount of indispensable of, of dispensable income, then they'd be better off picking a restaurant they want to work at and go beg the chef for a job and just get paid to learn and you're not going to get paid a lot, but you're going to get paid something. And you know, you're going to, there's, there's nothing that, that a chef even at like a, a mid-level rural regional restaurant can, can't teach you. You know, I think that's, that's my answer. And, and I hope that I didn't keep any kids from going to culinary school, but, and have their parents just force them into, <laughs> into servitude. But it's like, I do agree with you. Like there's so much resource out there now that if you want to learn and you have the drive, you can find that information. And if you treat that information with respect and you understand that, I think that's completely fine. And I think, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I think that like a home cook could be every bit as good at cooking a product, you know, making pasta, doing charcuterie, and I think the difference, the, the main difference I've come to learn is like a chef in a restaurant situation. It's so much more than just like cooking the food. It's like managing the people. And speed and, and organization. Yeah. What was the question again? Oh, your favorite chef or recommend a book. So the last question we always ask is, what do you want to be remembered for? I know that that's definitely not like a on the fly, but yeah, that's, I mean. That's heavy. Yeah. Personally or professionally, like what's the mark you're hoping to leave? I think just like being remembered for being helpful and kind and teaching people. 
and just bring some sort of joy to the world. Um, it's a crazy place to, to live and to be in. And I think through restaurants, I've been able to bring that joy to people and, and hopefully we can just keep moving with that. No matter, we don't know what that looks like right now, but you know, that's it. And just being kind, empathetic and, and just, you know, trying to be a good person. Right on. I hope for the same thing myself. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Do you want people to find you on the internet to reach out? Is there any Instagram, um, Facebook, anything you want to? Yeah. If you want to check out, it's a chef, Josh Fiddler on Instagram. That's basically the only social media. Oh, you can check out uh, eat at Mela on Instagram too. That's our uh, Instagram for the new project. There's not a whole lot of content on there yet, but we're trying to navigate that like as we talked about earlier to see what we should be putting on there. So very cool. Well, I hope we all get out of here really soon and can go get some food and drinks. And, no, I just uh, want to like cook some food for people. And it's funny cooking at home. I'm still making too much <laughs> food. It's like, Oh, I just cook for 12 and it's just me and my wife. So it's leftover red beans and rice for the rest of the week. Well, as always, everyone, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org. You can reach out to me at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Find us on all social media platforms. If you want to be on the show, let me know and hope to see you around. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.